Good morning. How's everybody out there? Doing good? All right. Hey, I'm really, really glad that you're here today. We're going to continue in just a minute with um, the series of messages we started last week on the book of James. And I hope you took the challenge that I gave you last week and you've already read through the book of James. Uh, remember, like I said, it's only five chapters. In my Bible, it's about three pages. So I figure we can all come up with enough time during the week to read three pages of the Bible. And it's really straightforward, uh, just pretty much in your face, not a lot of gray area, pretty black and white stuff. And so if you haven't read through the book of James yet, I want to encourage you to do that before next week. And we're going to continue looking at sections of the book of James every, every week between now and, uh, and Christmas time. And so uh, really looking forward to that. Before we jump into what we're talking about today, let me uh, just mention something that I talked about last week briefly uh, for those of you that were not here. Um, we're getting very close to getting our land paid off on Highway 290. We owe about $18,000 left on that piece of land, 9.9 uh, 9 acres out there. And, uh, and so we had, we had done a challenge at the beginning of the year to try to get that paid off by the end of the year. And I just changed it last week because I just can do crazy stuff like that. When I'm up here on stage, nobody can stop me. I can do whatever I want. And no, it, we, actually, actually, we had discussed it and, and all, all agreed on this, that, that uh, what we want to do is I want to challenge you uh, and, and, and myself too that we get that paid off by Black Friday. Uh, Black Friday, for those of you that don't know, that's the day after Thanksgiving when all of you go out and spend money that you don't have to buy presents for people that you don't like. And so we're going to, um, so what we want to do is we want to get, get this land paid off before we go spend all our money on Black Friday. And I think we can do that. So I just want to just let you know about that challenge for those of you that weren't here last week. And we'll keep you up to date on, on how, uh, how that's going on. Well, last week we began this new series, Straight Talk, based on the book of James. And we, we talked about the first 12 verses of the book of James last week. And if you were here, you remember that we talked about the fact that, that, um, that as we go through life, that we see things from a certain perspective. And it's not the perspective that God has. And we need to, to adjust our way of thinking to the perspective God has. And so today we're going to continue looking at those kinds of things. And, and we're going to talk about something uh, between verses 13 through 18. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of James. It's in the New Testament, and, uh, and, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 of James chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Um, now, if you are a parent in here, uh, and, or if you have, you know, if you've raised kids already, or if you're in the middle of raising kids, or maybe you hope one day to have kids and you're going to raise your kids, um, I want you to think with me just for a second. What, what are some things that you would want your kids to learn? If, if they're your child, what are some things you want them to learn uh, as, as you're raising them? Or if you're a parent, what are some things you're trying to teach your kids? Um, I tell you what, I'm, this is, you're always asking for trouble when you do this, but somebody shout something out to me that you want your kids to learn. Go ahead. The Lord is good. All right, who what was this over here? Love and respect for everyone. Man, that's good stuff. Manners. Hey, Sherry, are you taking notes for this so we can teach our girls? This is good stuff. Uh, obedience. Good. What else? Honesty. Responsibility. 
to know Jesus, work ethic. How about how to hit a curveball? Nobody said that. No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, the, all those are good stuff. Responsibility, obeying, uh, obedience, love Jesus, all that's good stuff. And one of the things that, that we're going to talk about today that I think we all want our kids to learn, and it's hilarious that my wife said it because I promise I did not plant her in the audience to say this answer, is responsibility. We, as parents, we want our kids to be responsible, don't we? And, and, as, and not just as parents, if you, let's say you, uh, uh, at where you work, let's say you're the boss, whatever that means, whether you're the owner of the company or you're a manager that oversees people, you want the people that work with you and work for you to be responsible. That's something that we want from our, that, that's something that you want from your friends. If you have a, if you have a friend that's, that's just irresponsible and in that friendship, it's difficult for you. So we want people to be responsible. And we try to teach our kids that and we try to live by that and all that kind of stuff. But there's, a, there's something that, that happens in our lives and, and sometimes we might think we're responsible, but we don't like to take responsibility. And here's what I mean. See, I have a, I have a problem and maybe you do too. When things are going well, I got no problem taking responsibility for that. Yeah, man, I'm in charge of that and look, it is doing awesome. Look at my family. Everybody's loving each other and doing what they should. And I'm the dad. I'm responsible for that. I'll take responsibility. But then when things go bad, I don't like to take responsibility quite as much. I don't want people to know that I'm in charge of that. I don't want people to know the bad that's going on. I want to hide that stuff because I don't want to take responsibility for the bad. Now, I know that y'all aren't like that, right? No, I think we are all like that, aren't we? We like to take responsibility for the good stuff, but it's the, it's the bad stuff that we don't like, like to take responsibility for. We, we are a society of buck passers. We love to pass the buck. We're in election season right now. If you don't think people like to pass the buck, just listen to politicians. They are the kings of passing the buck. It's not my fault. It's the guy before me's fault. It's not my fault. It's the guy that, you know, served after me. It's going to be his fault. We, they just passed the buck, and we are just like them. We pass the buck on things that are difficult, things that we're responsible for that didn't go as we planned, of things that we have done ourselves. I'll give you an example of, of how, how we're kind of like this from childhood, and then sometimes we grow out of it and sometimes we don't. And uh, on Sunday mornings here, we have a lot going on, and, and one of the things that, that we have to do before we leave this place is we have to make sure it's clean. And, and I'm of the belief that I want it to be cleaner when we leave than it was when we showed up. And, and thankfully, I think just about every week we meet here, it is cleaner after we leave than it was when we showed up. But, uh, but sometimes they'll be after the service, and I'll be doing a few things or talking to somebody, and I'll see some kids sitting at a table, and they'll be... Uh, a, a coffee cup there with orange juice in it and a coffee stirrer in it. That's how you know kids have been using it because they're using that coffee stirrer as a straw, right? Adults generally don't do that. If you do, you're, you're really weird. And so that's, that's, what, that's what's going on on Sunday morning. And so as I'm walking around, I might see a group of three or four kids and there's a couple of those things and I'll just say as I'm walking by, hey guys, if y'all don't mind when you leave, be sure you throw that stuff away. Nine times out of ten, this is the response I get. It's not mine. To which I resist saying, 
Did I ask you whose it was? Just throw it away. That's what I want to say. But I don't, trying to be the nice pastor, I want the kids around here to like me. And so I don't do that. But here's the thing. What are they saying? And, but now here's what they're quick to do. They're quick to tell me whose it is and who left it there. It's not mine. It's so-and-so's. And he got up and ran off. You know, like then I'm going to go on a mission to find that kid. Go back and get your cup. No, I, my thing is I just want it picked up. But what are they doing from a young age? They're passing the buck. I don't, want, I don't want to take responsibility for this, whatever it might be. And we are all guilty of doing that. We are a society of buck passers. Well, I'm going to read you some scripture today where, where James talks very clearly about the fact that, that we shouldn't be passing the buck on something that's extremely serious, which is our sin. Look at James. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15 just to start off. And it says this. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, for the first time that I've been teaching in my life, I'm going to make the first point using the um, title of a Tyler Perry film. And the first point of today's message is, Medea goes to jail. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that. The first point is, I can do bad all by myself. See, we don't need any help getting into sin. We don't need any help getting into, into trouble with, with, with what, we, what we do morally and what we do ethically. We, we can handle that by ourselves. But, but one of the things that we do as human beings is, is we pass the buck when it comes to our sin. And the way we pass the buck when it comes to our sin is we try to justify our sin. And we'll say things like, hey, that's just the way I was raised. Or at my job, I'm expected to do certain things. Or is that even a sin? I don't really think that's even a sin. Or you might even say something that's been around a long time and it was just recently, the last couple of years, made into a song. I'm on the right track, baby, because I was born this way. That's a big one today where people want to justify their sin by saying, hey, you can't say this is the way I was born. God made me this way. And see, in, this, in the time that James wrote this, there was actually a movement in the church where people would justify their sin by saying, God tempted me to do that. And hey, how can you resist God? He's all-powerful. He's, he's bigger than us. And if he put that temptation in my face, there's no way that I, could, that I could say no to that. And so people were actually blaming God for their sin. And before you think that we don't do that today, think about conversations you've had with people or, or thoughts you've had in your mind. I've actually had people say to me, well, you know, God, God was doing that to see, it, see what I would do. God put me in that situation to see if I would be faithful to him or not. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need to find out what you're going to do. He already knows what you're going to do. He's God. He knows everything. See, what happens is, is that we get trials and temptations confused. You remember last week, if you were here, we talked about trials. That's what verses 1 through 12 of James chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the podcast. James chapter 1 verses 1 through 12, talks about trials, and it says, 
Count it joy, consider it joy, pure joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And now trials are the things, the difficult times in our life that happen, and God uses those things to draw us closer to Him. God uses those things to grow our faith and to to show us how much further we have to go to get close to Him. That's a trial. A temptation leads us to sin. And a temptation has nothing to do with God because God does not want us to lead us to sin because sin separates us from Him. God would never lead us to temptation. God would never do something that would separate us from Him. And so there's a difference between trials and temptations. And verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And in just a couple, a few minutes, we're going to get to another scripture that describes the nature of God. But the nature of God has nothing to do with evil. So if, 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 if temptation leads us to sin, which is evil, which separates us from God, it cannot come from him because there is nothing in God's nature or character that is evil. Nothing at all. Now, for us, verses 14 and 15 says this, But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. See, we, we don't need any help to get into trouble. When the next time that, that you're involved in a sin that you know is against Scripture, that you know you shouldn't be doing, you don't need to look any further to figure out where that desire came from than to look in the mirror. If you look in the mirror, you can say, oh yeah, it's me. It grew out of me. It came out of me. It came out of this evil desire that lives in me. And to understand where this evil desire comes from, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I mean the very beginning, the beginning of everything. So when you go back to the creation of the world, when we read in Genesis, it tells us that God created everything. And after everything he made, God said it's good. He made the earth and it's good. He made the animals and they're good. He made the plants and they're good. Everything he made was good. And then in this perfect world, in this perfect community, there was Adam, there was Eve, and there was God. And they were completely in harmony with one another. And into that perfect world and perfect community, Satan brings temptation to Eve and to Adam, and they committed the first sin. And when they committed that first sin, from then on, sin is passed down to us from generation to generation. And you see it in the book of Genesis. Right after that, right after that story, Adam and Eve have two sons, and one of the sons goes out and murders the other son in cold blood. Sin had taken hold into the lives of human beings. And it's the same problem that we deal with today. It's passed down. I inherited high blood pressure from my mother and also inherited a sin nature from my mother. And my kids are going to inherit something from me, hopefully not high blood pressure, but they've already inherited from me a sin nature from me. You see, it comes from our own evil desire that lives within us. It's kind of like when... um, you know, you know, God created us and he created us in his image, which is good, but it's a, it's, we're created in his image, which is good, but there's a, there's a, a it's damaged. When, when I was a kid, um, we lived, well, my parents still live there, and, and back behind my parents' house is woods, and we used to go walk in those woods and play back there and build forts and all that kind of stuff, and if you go far enough back there, there's railroad tracks, and we'd walk up and down the railroad tracks. Well, every once in a while, you'd find a railroad spike that had come out, and we, or sometimes we'd make them come out. We'd pull on them until they came out. 
And, and I'd carry those, you know, I'd come home with three or four railroad spikes because I was a little boy that liked that kind of stuff and bring that home. And, and one time we were at, at our house and, and my parents had hardwood floors at that time in the house and, and they had had the floors refinished and they were real nice and all that kind of stuff. And we're in the, the house and all of a sudden you hear this racket back in the back of the house. Like it sounded like somebody was working on something like with a hammer. And so they heard it, and my mom went back to the room to find out what was going on. And my little sister, who at the time was, you know, probably about five years old, she had one of those railroad spikes, and she was just busting up that hardwood floor as much as she could, just, just tearing it up, didn't it? Now, the hardwood floor was good. It was nice and pretty, but there was damage now. There was dents all in it from a railroad spike and a five-year-old little girl just beating the daylights out of the floor. And see, that's the way we are as human beings. We've been made in the image of God. We have great capacity to do good things. That's why even people who, who aren't followers of Jesus are still able to do good things and, and to make some contributions in the world because we were made in the image of God. But we have a fatal flaw because we have a sin nature that lives in us. And it's that sin nature that tempts us and drags us away to be involved in sin which separates us from God. See, look at the language that's used in, in verse 14 and 15. It says, it shows us here that it's actually a process. It says, but each one is tempted. And by the way, when you've been tempted, you have not sinned yet. Temptation and sin are not equal. But temptation is the first step that leads you to sin. And it says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then look at how the process continues in verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, the evil desire that lives within us and the temptations that we see around us, those two things come together and they give birth to sin. And then sin, the result of sin, is always damaging. It's always bad because it leads us to death. I got a picture up here. I want you to look at this picture Mike's going to put up here. Now, that is a rattlesnake. And that guy holding him where I grew up would be called a blooming idiot. And um, now, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you've got a rattlesnake that size and it's living in the sandbox in your backyard. And you have a five-year-old child. Now, if you've got a five-year-old child and you've got that rattlesnake living in the sandbox in the backyard, are you going to let that child go outside and play in the sandbox? Are you going to even let the child out the door, period? I mean, if there's a rattlesnake that size living in the sandbox... If my child says, hey, Daddy, I want to go outside, but don't worry, I'm not going to go near the sandbox, I'd say, no, you're not. You're not even going outside until I get that rattlesnake killed. Kilt. I got killed that thing. Why, now, why would that be? Because there is no good outcome for a child playing near a rattlesnake. There's nothing good that can come from that. There's only bad. It's either death or it's, at the, at the least, hospitalization and a lot of pain and fear there's nothing good that can come from a child playing with a rattlesnake. But here's our problem as human beings. As human beings, we get very comfortable with temptation. We get very comfortable not only with temptation, we get very comfortable 
with sin. And it's almost as if we begin to play around with it. And we, if this is the line where between not sinning and sinning, we get right up as close to that line as we can get. And we push right up on it. And we think about what it would be like to commit that sin. We think about what it would be like to live that lifestyle. And we push right up to it as close as we can. And what we've got to remember is there is no good outcome with sin. When, when we begin to live sinful lives, when, when we push up to the line of sin, and, we, and when, we, when we refuse to take responsibility for our own sin and understand that it comes from within us and our own evil desire, when we do that, we're foolish if we believe, you know what, I might be able to get out of this without being hurt. I might be able to get out of this without damaging myself spiritually. There's, there's no way to beat the odds on sin. It's going to be a bad outcome. That verse, that verse 14 when it says that by each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Do you know what the word enticed there? It's the same word that was used in the Greek language when they were talking about bait for fishing. And when you go fishing, you're going to buy some night crawlers or some minnows or some crickets or you're going to buy something that's not alive, that's shiny, that'll attract a fish and you're going to throw that out in the water, and what are you trying to do? You're trying to entice a fish to come out of the, the brush that it's living under or whatever, and you're trying to get it to bite that hook. What's the outcome for the fish? It's not good. That fish is going to end up in your frying pan that night, and that's not the good outcome for that fish. And what we've got to understand is that temptation is trying to entice us, is trying to bait us into something that is going to be a bad outcome for us. And we've got to begin to take responsibility and understand that, that God didn't make me do it and even the devil didn't make me do it. You know, I love that old phrase, the devil made me do it. Yeah, that's just another way of passing the buck. Yeah, the devil is, listen, the devil's real. The devil is at work in the world. The devil wants to see you fail. The devil is constantly working to try to put evil, more evil into this world. But when we begin to say, hey, the devil made me do it, what we're basically saying is, is I, don't, I can't control myself. devil's bigger than God. There's nothing I can do about it. And we're passing the buck. So what does James say about this? Well, James 1.16 he begins to, he begins to uh, change the, the, the tone and, and he just finishes up this idea of the fact that I can do bad all by myself by saying this in James 1.16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. And then he goes on in James 1.17 and 18 and he changes from here's who you are, a sinner with an evil desire, and let's talk about who God is. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. If I can do bad all by myself, God does good all by himself. God does good all by himself. And here's the great part about that, is we're the ones who get to receive that good. We're the ones that he wants to give it to. Now, there's three facts in these, in these two verses. There's three facts about who God is, the character, the nature of God that I don't want you to miss. And the first one is this. God 
is good. Say that with me. God is good. There's an old, you know, thing that they used to do at a church that I went to. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You heard that. It's true. God is good. And His, his nature doesn't change. We're going to get that in just a second. God is good. Verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Now, here's the cool thing. Not only is God good, but He chooses to share that goodness with us. See, Warren Buffett is probably the richest guy in America. If not, he's one of the richest guys in America. He's that old dude from Nebraska that just has invested wisely in the stock market, and he's just made billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars. And the fact that Warren Buffett has all that money is awesome for him, but it doesn't help me out at all. Now, if Warren Buffett starts buying me a new car every year, starts providing my groceries for my family, then that's going to be good for me. But right now, it has nothing to do with me. Here's the great thing about God. God is good. God has everything. God's the creator of everything, and He doesn't want to keep it to Himself. He is giving it to you, and He's giving it to me. He is the, the, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. He is giving us those good gifts. So when I, when I wake up at, at, at midnight and I'm hungry and I get up and I go in my kitchen and I make me a peanut butter sandwich and, and, and I, I do that, that's from God. It's a good gift because God does provide my groceries every week. Warren Buffett does it, but God does. And so the bread that I eat, the peanut butter that I eat, the milk that I wash it down with, the bed that I crawl back into with a full stomach after all that's over with, all those things are directly from the hand of God. God is good and He gives us good things. See, I think sometimes we, we, um, we don't want to take responsibility for our sin, but I think we do want to take responsibility for all the stuff we've got. And we want to talk about how hard we've worked and how I did this and I put in extra hours and I paid for my family to go here and I bought this and I'm such a good provider and it's all about me and my hard work and everything that i've created this world i've created for myself no that stuff is from god if you've got a job you better thank god for it if you've got a car you better thank god for it if you've got food to eat you better thank god for it if you can breathe oxygen clearly thank god for that because it's from him he is a good god then the second thing we can learn about god from these verses is this god doesn't change god doesn't change verse 17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We live in a world that is constantly changing. Just, just in the, the world of technology, we can't, I can't keep up with it anymore. Not that I ever really could. And, and the, the, those of you who are the most technologically savvy here, even you can't keep up with all of it. It is, everything is constantly changing. And not only when it comes to technology, but, but you're changing. If you're, my, I'm 43 years old. You know what's changed a lot in the last 20 years? My body has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Uh, if, if you're in a relationship, you know that relationships change over time. And so this world is constantly changing. And isn't it comforting? It's comforting to me to know that whatever goes on, no matter how many iPhones Apple comes out with, that God is still the same 
God. He doesn't change. I don't have to worry about the fact that the, that the God who was forgiving to me last year will this year withhold forgiveness. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about the God that provided for me last year. This year will choose to no longer provide for me. I don't have to worry about that because God does not change. I also don't have to worry about the fact that, that God who outlined what moral and ethical behavior should be like in His Word now all of a sudden will say, oh, that's not really a sin anymore. It doesn't work like that because God doesn't change. God is good and He doesn't change. I go to uh, the beach every chance that I get. And um, the last several years, or longer than that, a long time, our family has vacationed at the same place at the beach, the, the same area of, of Myrtle Beach down there. And, um, and it's a place that I have been going to my whole life. My parents took me there. My mom will tell you that I was six weeks old the first time they took me to the beach. And uh, July of ni- I was born in June of 1969, and they took me like the end of July of 1969 to the beach, first time. And so I've been going to that same place, seeing those same things for my whole life. It's changed like crazy. Used to all be just small houses. Now there's high rises and other things, and there's been hurricanes that have swept things away, and everything's been rebuilt. And there's restaurants that closed down, and new ones that have opened and all that kind of stuff. But when I go to the beach, I walk out on the, on the sand, and I walk out into the ocean about waist deep, and I look out, and it's like I'm five years old again. Because the ocean does not change. And I can look this way, and I can look that way, and it's almost as if time has stood still. Because that doesn't change. Now, everything else around it is changing. But the ocean doesn't change. In your life, you might feel like everything's out of control. Everything around you is changing. You don't understand it. You wish that it was the way it was when you were a kid or when you were first married. But understand that God has not changed. He's still good. He still loves you. He's still forgiving. He's still just. And He hasn't changed. And then the last thing that we can learn about God which to me I think is the greatest of all, is this. He chose us. He chose us. Look at verse 18. So you've got this God that's good, it doesn't change, and then verse 18 it says this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Those first few words of 18, let me read them again. Because... I want you to understand something today. That those first few words of verse 18 are why this church exists. The first few words of verse 18 are what the community outside of this church needs. And the first few words of verse 18 is what should get us up every morning excited and joyful to live. And that is, He chose to give us birth. Verses 13 through 15 that we talked about earlier, how did it describe us as human beings? What did it say lives within us? What was it? An evil desire. And that evil desire that lives in us, it it drags us towards sin and leads us to be separated from God. What does a person who is evil deserve? Now, I know you don't want to think about yourself as evil, but think about Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody like that. What, What does a person that's evil deserve? You would say, if you're watching on TV... I'll tell you what my daddy would say. 
growing up, there'd be somebody, you know, somebody killed kids or something. My daddy'd say, I need to fry that guy. That's what he'd say about that. And that's what a person who's evil deserves, right? A person who's evil deserves to be punished. Guess what we deserve? We deserve to be punished. What we deserve for our evil desire is to be condemned to death and to be separated from God for eternity in hell. That is what we deserve. See, when we get all bent out of shape and down in the mouth at God, and we say things to God like, God, I don't deserve to be treated this way. I don't deserve to to be struggling financially. I don't deserve to have my marriage falling apart. I don't deserve all this stuff. What God understands about us that sometimes we don't understand about ourselves is we deserve one thing and one thing only, and that is to be condemned to death. But verse 18 says, even though we deserve to be condemned to death, God chose to give us birth. John 3, 3, Jesus said it this way. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In the middle of us deserving death, in the middle of us being sinful and deserving to be separated from God forever, God chose to send Jesus to earth to live a sinless life and to die on the cross for us. He chose to give us birth. He made that possible. And all we have to do is believe that and accept it and to say, God, you chose me and I'm going to accept that. See, when we, um, when we pass the buck on our sin, when we make excuses for our sin, it's damaging to us because we're not being honest about who we are, but even worse than that is that it's making light of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we say, ah, it's no big deal. Everybody does that. I was born this way. I got to do this for my job. Then what we're doing is we're making light of the fact that Jesus died on the cross because when we don't take our sin seriously, we need to understand that God took it seriously enough to die for us. And so we should take it seriously. So so here's what I want you to think about today. If you have not dealt with your sin, you need to accept the rebirth of Jesus that he's provided for you. God chose to give you birth but you've got to accept that and then if you're already a follower of jesus and you've already been reborn but you're still living in sin there's still certain areas of your life that that you're holding on to you need to quit making light of the cross and ask god to help you help me help me stop this i can't do it on my own See, the moment that you decide that it's bigger than you and and you give up trying to figure it out because you've tried and it doesn't work, then it's that moment that God will jump in there and say, I'll handle that for you. I'll take that part of your life that's got a hold on you, it's got its hooks in you, and I'll clean you up. And then it'll set you free to be able to live for Him the way that you've always wanted to. But we've got to begin by taking sin seriously and understanding that it, it leads to death. It separates us from God. There is no good outcome for sin.
And as followers of Jesus, we need to do all that we can to allow God to get that out of our lives. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you to do um, two things as you leave today, as you get ready to go home. Uh, the first one is, reread those verses that I talked about today and spend some time praying and just asking God to reveal to you what areas of your life that He wants to clean up. And none of you are Jesus. I'm not Jesus. So there'll be an area. It's not like God's going to say, you know what, you're good. Got it covered. Awesome. Go on with your day. There's an area. There's an area of my life. There's an area of your life. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Spend some time doing that. Second thing I want to encourage you to do. All of you know somebody who needs to be here on Sunday mornings. I want to encourage you to begin inviting them to be here next week, week after, week after that. Find somebody this week that you can say, hey, I go to this church where you can wear whatever you want, and they have bagels and cookies before the service. Come to church with me this week, all right? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you are good. We're thankful that you don't change. And God, I'm most thankful for the fact that you chose to give us new birth. I know what I deserve, and it is a miracle that I don't get what I deserve. I don't get death. I'm not condemned to hell. And that's only because of what you did through Jesus on the cross. And so I pray today for myself, for everyone here, that we would celebrate that. We'd celebrate what you did on the cross. We'd celebrate new birth. And we would follow you day in and day out, doing exactly what you want us to do. Father, I pray that this week when I am tempted to pass off my sin as, as someone else's problem or someone else's fault, that you would not allow me to do that. I pray that, that I would take responsibility for what I've done and then lay it at your feet and allow you to clean me up. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus because you are a good God. Amen.